Hey, everybody, welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo and Mary Guilfoyle. We're a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. This is the podcast where we talk about anything and everything having to do with transformation in the church. And Mary, our tone today is obviously rather sober. Yes, it is. Good morning, Father John. Yeah, you know, I think you and I both come into this conversation, perhaps like all of our friends who are listening as they go about their daily lives with... Um, um, heavy hearts about what we're seeing um, happening in the Middle East on both sides. And um, it's just instilled in us this incredible desire uh, to be one with them in prayer and to have hearts of gratitude uh, for all that we do have. It right orders our lives pretty quick. And what matters most is our brothers and sisters. Yeah, amen. And I find the scriptures, uh, at least this first reading from Isaiah that we're going to reflect on today to be very timely. And uh, we can, we'll break that open. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah. Let, let's pray. What, what's our topic? So our topic for today, friends, is idols and the one true God. Idols and the one true God. And as a prayer, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2, which just seems to be a fitting mm-hmm. scriptural prayer for us uh, as we look at all that's happening in the Middle East. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all people, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so, Father, just uh, being obedient to what it is that you inspired St. Paul to write, we do come before you right now in agonizing prayer on behalf of the world. And we lift up especially the leaders of nations in these days that you would miraculously inspire them, that you would give them wisdom and courage, and that you would do what only you can do, Father, and that you would turn the hearts of those who hate into the hearts of those who love. Father, we pray for all those who are in harm's way and all those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, all those who are concerned about family, friends, co-workers, Uh, in the situation in the Middle East and in Ukraine. Father, we long for the day when this world will be made new and our swords will be turned into plowshares. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you know, Father John, just as, uh, first of all, we just thank God for the word of God that's always timely. I mean, it is the place where we go Amen. Uh, to put our hands to the promises that God has given us. And and maybe just as we enter into this conversation, just a reminder, you know, something practical we can do. So a day of uh, prayer and abstinence has been called for tomorrow, uh, which is October 17th for peace and reconciliation in the Holy Land. So that's October 17th. And this was um, an initiative called, by, uh, called for by the Latin Patriarch of, of Jerusalem, and then the USCCB has partnered with them as we pray that there are others across all denominations 
uh, praying for peace. Yeah, so please spread the word. Maybe yeah. uh, maybe we haven't heard about this, but so prayer and abstinence is uh, a time of um, like do everything you can to just stay away from food on Tuesday the 17th. Maybe just have one meal at dinner uh, so that we can uh, fill up in our own flesh what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. So it's uh, penances are just small little acts of love uh, that are seemingly insignificant, but in fact uh, can be most significant. We see over and over again in Scripture that prayer and fasting does miraculous things. I don't know how it works. I just know it works. So, And that's what we need right now is we need a miraculous thing. We do. Right? We need a miraculous intervention from God. Yeah. So that said, let's let's break open this scripture from Isaiah 45. Would you, Mary? So, yeah, so it's Isaiah uh, chapter 45, verses 1 and then 4 through 6. So thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him, and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him, and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name, giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Yeah, what a timely word. I, uh, I will, will, will try to break this open, but I find this to be such a, uh, just a comforting scripture to be lingering with right now for a number of reasons. But, you know, maybe we Maybe we can give a little bit of background real quick right. because I'll bet most people don't have a clue uh, what the heck's going on here. We, and don't know, we don't know what time it is and we don't know who Cyrus is. <laughs> Who's right? this Cyrus dude, right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, quick little history lesson. So uh, shortly after King David, his son is King Solomon, right? And because of Solomon's idolatry, the kingdom of Israel splits, goes through something like a civil war like we went through here in the United States. And you get a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Kingdom of Israel is exiled by the Assyrians in the 8th century. And then the kingdom of Judah is exiled by the Babylonians in the 6th century. So this is the 6th century BC. And uh, the people of Jerusalem of Judah, they're in exile. And lo and behold, uh, arises a new world power. So it had been the Assyrians in power, then the Babylonians in power, and now the Persians come into power, and they come into power through this man Cyrus, who it's interesting, right? Like God calls him anointed, which is Messiah. Interesting, huh? So I took note of that yeah. when, I was, when I was praying with this. Yeah. It's how God, even in ways, even though people don't know it, God uses people who don't believe in him to act out his will. That is so important, I yeah. think, for just on a practical level for all of us. God can use all of us. Yeah, amen. Yep. So Cyrus comes into power. Uh, he defeats the Babylonians in 539 BC. And then he does a completely new thing. Like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they would come in, they would invade, they would conquer, and then they would disperse the people. They would deport them back to 
their homelands and to different places. Cyrus does something really strange. He actually allows people to go back home. He allows people to rebuild their places of worship. And he even in 538, he issued a decree permitting the Jews um, to rebuild their temple and he sponsored it. So he ordered these, remember the, the image of um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, from the book of Daniel who um, destroys um, Jerusalem, invades the temple, and then his son, you know, he sends the vessels back to um, Jerusalem. Actually, I think it's Nebuchadnezzar who sends the, the golden vessels to Jerusalem or back to, uh, to Babylon. Cyrus issues an order that they're to be sent back to the temple. So that's what's going on here. That's that's a little bit of the historical background. We don't need to get lost in that. Maybe we can just focus on, you know, you and I were talking offline just in prayer and preparation for this. There's two themes mm -hmm. that in these chapters of Isaiah are worth just calling our attention to. And again, I think they're both applicable for different reasons. So the first theme is the, the absolute folly of idolatry. And the second theme is this resounding, constantly recurring line in this passage in Isaiah that I am the Lord and there is no other. So let's talk about first the folly of idolatry. And I know you got some great things to share on this. Let me just say something real quick. So just remember the context. So, so the people of Jerusalem and of Judah, they have been deported they're in Babylon, and all throughout this time, this is right before Cyrus is going to send them back, God starts speaking through the prophet Isaiah, basically taunting the people who have deported them, saying, y'all think you're really special. Uh, in fact, you're not. Your gods are not gods. You build idols of wood and stone, and then you... You have to pick them up and move them because they can't move on their own. They don't speak. They can't hear. They have no heartbeat. They can do nothing. They're absolutely inert. They're puny gods. They're, they're puny <laughs> I'm, thinking gods. About, I'm thinking about that line from a movie. They're puny that. gods. <laughs> from the Marvel comic series, right. in case you missed that. Yeah, so this is, a, this is an extraordinary thing. So here's the people who, they, they, they look like they should have zero reasons for confidence. And in the middle of this time of absolute grief and mourning, God starts taunting those who have taken them captive and saying, your gods are nothing. They're idols and they're not real. Now, we talk a lot, especially when we're on retreat with priests and bishops and, and lay leaders too. We talk a lot about idolatry in our lives and you have some rich stuff to was, share on this. I was just thinking, you know, too, I mean, if you're reading this passage and we, and we know, you know, we, we, what comes to our mind is an image of a golden calf because it's, con, it's, it's contextualized within these, 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 uh, these readings. And I don't have any of those. And if you look at your front window, you probably at your home don't have a golden calf on your lawn. Hope not. And so we think to ourselves sometimes, well, I really don't have any idols but uh, a, a friend of ours who now is with the Lord, Dr. Tim Keller, this is how he described an idol. And it, Get ready. it recontextualizes everything that you and I once thought about what an idol is. And so just let us share it with you. So Dr. Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Full stop. Just sit with that for a second. Anything 
more important to you than God? Ugh. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Uh-oh, second sword just went like right into my heart. And I'm just sitting here thinking about how much time I invest energy and mental energy in doing things that I should maybe be doing. I'm not using my time wisely. So anything that absorbs your heart and imagine more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, here's the, here's the line, your life would feel hardly worth living. And you know, Father John, we're living at a time right now, I mean, this is called like the loneliest generation. We know what the suicide rates are. And we're thinking about how people just feel like it's hardly worth living mm. because their hope might be placed in idols. Our hope might be placed in idols that, that are not in God. And so to be clear, an idol can be a great thing. It can be our health. It can be our family. It can be, it can be financial security. It can, be, it can be position. It can be all of really, really good things. And, and what it amounts to, I think, Father John, is just maybe having like disordered desires or disordered, a disordered heart we're, because we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love others. And, and I think one of the things that might help for like a, um, like a very practical application is just to pray with this like through an examine, like, like go to prayer and just do an examination of conscience and just, and, and and like you said, one line is plenty, anything more important than God, anything that absorbs our hearts and imaginations, anything that we seek to give us what only God can give and anything that is so central to our life, should we lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I think as you pray with that, as I have prayed with that, it's remarkable what the spirit brings to my mind. Yeah, there's so many. I, I think the reality, um, this the annoying, humiliating, uh, stunning reality is that uh, unlike how most of us probably tend to think, at least that's how I used to think, that um, I don't have any idols in my life. You read a definition like this or you hear a definition like this and you go, holy cow, I've got a boatload of idols. And Who I, of us doesn't have things in our life that are more important to us than God or that absorb our heart and imagination more than God. It's the Monday of the Michigan, Michigan State football game. And I don't mean that jokingly. I know. This is a massive idol mm. for countless people. Uh, and just, just think of the idolatry that is sports. Sports is a tremendous gift, right? But how many people's lives are just absolutely shattered if the outcome isn't what I'm hoping for or our financial security or our health, as you mentioned, um, the, the list is long. And so this would be a great reflection for all of us throughout this week. Lord, in your kindness, remember, so as you do this examination of conscience, God doesn't want to condemn. He wants to convict because what do idolatry, what do idols do? They keep me shackled. They, they're, they, they don't deliver what they promise, which means they, they actually lead us, as you were mentioning a second ago, into despair. Uh, and so we want to just ask the Lord in your kindness, shine a light into my heart and into my mind and into my will and show me those things that I am in one way or another bowing down to that are not deserving of my worship because only you are, right? Which brings us to this second yeah, yeah, yeah. theme, which is 
here's God again, speaking through Isaiah over and over and over and over again in these chapters of uh, the prophet, simply saying, I am the Lord and there is no other God. There is no savior but me. And I find this, especially with what's going on right now in the Middle East, in Ukraine, you, you pick the situation, doesn't really matter. Scripture's just reminding me he's in charge and he knows what he's doing. And he uses people even if they don't realize it. And he has a plan. I don't get it. It's not like he's pulling strings. That's not my point. We're not puppets. I think that's important yeah. that you make that God, God, we're, not, we're not puppets, huh? We're, we're not... We're real. Our our actions are are real. Our choices are real, and they can have disastrous implications. It's not like God is willing violence and destruction right now. That's not my point at all. But in the middle of all this, just like in the middle of deportation and exile and the destruction of their temple, the people of Jerusalem heard the Lord say, I am the Lord. There is no other. Put your confidence in me only in me. Pray for those who are leading because it's really important that we have men and women who have wisdom, even if they don't understand where it's coming from to lead us right now. But put your confidence in me and only in me. And so tomorrow, October 17th, this day of abstinence and prayer, when we all hit our knees, wouldn't it be something if we could all kind of feel one another's knees hit the ground at the same time, almost like an earthquake going off throughout the body of Christ as we just fall uh, before the king, acknowledging his lordship, acknowledging his sovereignty, acknowledging that time and time and time again in world history, God has done dramatic things and intervened and brought peace where it looked like there was no peace, who made a way in a situation where there was no way. And so that's what we're asking him to do again right now, confident in his goodness, his kindness, his power. Yeah, I think, you know, Father John, so well said. You know, prayer is, uh, I think we'd all agree, is the greatest gift that can be shared among friends. Hmm. And those in the Middle East, uh, we're friends, right? There are brothers and there are sisters. And a, a dear woman once said that in prayer, we can go anywhere. So as you were talking about us all going down our, on our knees, that we would feel like this global earthquake, that in our prayer, we are there. We are there with them. Amen. So let's, let's be sober but hopeful. And let's not be resigned uh, in our thinking and feel like uh, the world is in the hands of uh, crazy men and women who hate each other. The world is in God's hands, and he's a good father. And because we can approach him in Jesus' name because of all that Jesus has done for us by his death and his resurrection, let's do that with confidence and let's join our hands and our hearts and our minds on the 17th and pray and ask God to act. And in the meantime, do not be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this. 